0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon for a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, everyone. Welcome back. We've got international woman of mystery, Hannah Cox on the line. Hannah, you decided to start a podcast. Is it because you just don't like sleeping or because you just really (laughs) don't like ever taking a break?
1: I think it's, I think it's the latter. I think it's to fill my boredom during the era of COVID. I'm not on the road traveling anymore, and I think I would be losing my mind if I wasn't filling my time with something. So, seemed like a time to seize the day.
0: I I, I hear you. I feel like in terms of like uh, quarantine. We're not even calling it quarantine anymore. Now it's just lockdown. It's like, well, lockdown life is trending. Um, It's like people have tried to learn how to make like banana bread in their (laughs) oven. People have tried to, you know, binge every series on Netflix. And then what I find is that a lot of people are either trying to write books or start podcasts, which is great for me because, you know, author consultations have been great. During COVID, I never had this many unemployed or bored people writing books in their life. I bet. But but at the same time, what's really cool, and you're kind of coming into an interesting time, uh, I'm a big movie theater buff. And this year has been terrible for movies. There's barely been anything on TV either. So what has occupied a lot of my time and a lot of the time for a lot of other folks has been independent content c- producers. Because in the void of Hollywood, where everyone, including Trevor Noah, is just filming from their freaking basement, now it's like anyone else can jump in and provide anybody informative entertainment. Anybody. So, so what made you want to finally take the plunge?
1: yeah yeah, it is funny because now you know the quality in which you can record is about as good as the people in Hollywood. so
0: well, have you watched really any of, have you watched any of the late night stuff now? No, it
1: sucks. I was really never into it to begin with but yeah well, I, I mean I they, can they were never
0: they were never that funny but like the, they, they it's like they stopped trying like you know right. Trevor Noah from The Daily Show he used to shave, he used to show up in a suit <laughs> and now he looks like he's he's like um, Tom Hanks from Castaway. And it's like, we know you're doing this from home, but you can at least look like you're still getting paid to do it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as somebody who used to work in the entertainment industry, I have to tell you, there's a lot of show ponies that don't have that much talent. And when you take away their teams and it's (laughs) all on them to produce something, I'm not surprised it's falling apart. Like (laughs) At the end of the day, a lot of the most talented people are behind the scenes. So that's very funny. But um, I had been wanting to start this podcast actually... Since 2016. I've had it in my mind for a very long time, and I have just not had the capacity. Um, I'm somebody who is seen as being in media, but that's actually not my job. My job is running a nonprofit. So I, I typically am on the road. I'm lobbying. I'm speaking. I'm giving testimony. I'm organizing, building coalitions. I'm all over the place. Um, and, and media is always something I've kind of done on the side, You know, maybe an interview here, an article there, but it's just not something I've had the capacity to really lean into. And so um, in 2016, that was my first year in politics. I was starting to travel around and speak a good bit. And one thing I was finding was that I had a lot in common with people on both sides of the aisle, um, but especially people on the left. Like We would actually end up agreeing on many of the problems in society and, and many of the things that I see as being corrupt. And we would start talking about it and then they'd say, okay, but that's why we need the government to do X or Y. And it would always sort of take me aback because I would think we just spent 10, 15 minutes talking about how government screwed this up, but you think that we need to put more government in place to address it. And it kind of made me recognize that while we agreed on some of the problems, a lot of people weren't really informed on the root cause of those problems, right? And if you if you misunderstand the root cause of a problem, you don't understand how it came to be in the first place, you're certainly not in a position where you are going to prescribe the right solutions to fix it. And I think that if we could move society where more people had that understanding. We probably would be able to come together a lot more frequently and actually work together to achieve policy reforms And so the show is called based because each episode is is really examining the base of issues really digging through the weeds um, and, and you know overturning preconceived notions, really looking under all the rocks we find and just seeing, you know, how did this come to be? What were the government policies put into place or societal factors that were in place that led to this issue? And then what can we do to really start trying to figure out how to fix it? And so I am so excited to have launched it. It kind of has a double meaning. It's it's based in the term of, you know, we're looking at the base of problems. It's based in the terms of I'm kind of based as in the slang (laughs) slang terminology. Got to talk Um, like the kids now. Yeah, I got to talk like the kids. (laughs) And, And it's also based because my hope is that when people listen to it or watch it, that they're establishing a better base for their beliefs and for their principles. I think it's so important for people to really have a strong ideology. And so many Americans don't. They've just been brought up to follow one party or the other. And so you can see, I mean, you see it with Republicans. Even the past four years, they were really led astray by Trump. A lot of them turned their back on these values that they supposedly held for decades. But as soon as somebody came in that thought differently and was in charge of the party, the party moved. And so for a lot of people, I think that's because they didn't have a strong understanding of of why they believe what they believe, what the principles were underlying the policies that they stood for. And so it was very easy to be um, manipulated or co-opted in that way. And so my hope is that in listening to this, people can really establish a better set of um, principles and a better foundation for their beliefs outside I, of political parties.
0: I, I, I totally get where you're going with this. But I'll, t- I'll take you a step further, though. I think I think people really... Don't know how to explain a lot of the things they believe, and you know, just kind of keeping the lens on politics. I went on a, I went on my parlor account the other day, and you know, being the the token corporate pink commie I am, according to some people, <laughs> I went ahead and said that George Bush was a worse president than Barack Obama, and I genuinely mm-hmm. believe that. I mean, I think they were both pretty terrible. I think a lot of presidents were pretty terrible, but yeah. when I look at Bush and Obama, I really don't see them. As doing much else. I mean, Obama did some pretty stupid things, but Bush really gave him the platform and the ability to get away with it all. So I look at the cause instead of the effect for that. And it, It's it feels so like it feels like importing peroxide on an open wound when I see people today defending George Bush because Trump can go on TV and blame the Bushes for 9/11 and people will say yeah screw him and then you know you, you go ahead and say that and suddenly it's like de facto Republican mode. Um, I have to go ahead and defend George Bush because at least he mm-hmm. liked America, and it's like he, 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 he just because he liked America, what the hell? What
1: the hell? Right. Is I that? think I think most presidents just liked America. That shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that means they were good presidents. And I'm with you. I, I really couldn't pick if I had to say who's been the worst president of my lifetime. Like, good lord, I've gotten some real doozies. You know, I was born under Reagan, which I don't really remember. Some people seem to think that was a pretty good era, but then from then on, it's it's kind of been a hot mess. <laughs> One thing after the next, after the next, and I think, you know, that goes back even further than your lifetime or mine. There's been a lot of problems with U.S. presidents. There's a lot of problems with the office itself and how um, much power we've given it, how much we've allowed it to expand in recent decades. But as a whole, I really don't like, this is why I hate the, the two-party system. I hate the team mentality because it really prevents people from being objective ever on anybody that was on their team, right? We should be able to look back objectively at Bush and, and criticize him when he went wrong, which he did often, and also still be able to give him credit when he did things that were good. Same with Obama, same with Trump. And this bias really doesn't help anybody, this inability to really give credence when it's due or be critical when it's needed. All it does is really compound power and prevent the government from having needed checks and balances and accountability.
0: Yeah, and right now, it's it's just really funny because... I, I hate it when folks are like, this is the most polarizing time of my life and uh, all this other stuff. Like, we'll, when will we go back to normal? And I, I think it's funny that Hamilton is still one of the most popular sp- most popular streamed movies online right now. And it, it's on Disney Plus and people watched it and people are like, oh, we need to go back to simpler times. And I'm like, simpler times? Yeah, a vice president that shot a dude <laughs> yeah. and he got away with it.
1: God, and then didn't he try to commit treason? He, like, fled the country. I mean, it goes on from there. He went to to
0: Mexico. I'm waiting for the Hamilton (laughs) sequel, Burr. But Burr went went to Mexico, attempted to overthrow the Mexican government and invade America and become the first emperor of the Americas. And the Mexicans saw him and they're like, this crazy white guy is insane. And they put him in jail. He somehow escaped jail, went to England, and then came back and was still able to practice law in New Jersey. And the moral of the story is never hire a lawyer from New Jersey.
1: Well, it's like they say in Hamilton, everything is legal in New Jersey.
0: (laughs) Um, the, the the one thing that I, I I think I've realized now more than ever before is uh and I mean you, you definitely have had way more uh media appearances than, than I ever have, but just being a spectator, um what I don't like about watching Cable news right now isn't necessarily, you know, the omission of facts or the partisan slant that certain networks have. I hate the fact that we're taking really, really hot topics that need to be actually laid out and explained, and we're telling people to yell at each other and f- put in their entire argument within two minutes. And mm-hmm. I think with the podcasting space, You know, one of the reasons why this has been on the rise for a while, and and I started doing this back in in 2015, 2016, when nobody knew what one was, Um, you know, people like having long form conversations and people like being able to actually hear a full length talk where people are actually trying to flesh out an argument or something instead of just calling each other traitors within two minutes before the, you know, the erectile dysfunction commercial comes on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. And nowadays, people have more time. You know, there's a lot of silver linings to COVID. I think this is it's one of them. People slow down. They're looking for information. They're actually absorbing things for a longer time period. But I'm with you. I've always loved longer form discussion. I, I don't like un-nuanced takes. I don't like hot takes. I really want to dig into the nuts and bolts and understand an issue. And I, I work really hard to do that before I comment. And I think a lot of people could observe that from some people and try to replicate it because so many people just fire off. Um, you know, they shoot up from the hip and and they create more division. They miseducate people. They lead people astray. And sometimes that's unintentional. It's just because they haven't done their due diligence and actually researched before they start talking. Um, and it leads to a lot of problems in society. You know, even though we're in the age of information, I think we might be at one of the most uneducated times in history. People really um, cannot tell fact from fiction. They cannot deduce opinion from from fact. And and as a whole, like it's really creating um, a difficult time for us to have conversations. I've always loved to sit down with people who have different ideas than me. Who think differently than me, who hold different policy stances than I do, because I find it very stretching. It always helps me better understand where the opposition's coming from. You know, sometimes I end up changing my mind on a certain stance because I, I get new information and I realize I was I was wrong or I wasn't fully informed before. Sometimes I just feel like hearing their argument strengthens my own, and then I'm better prepared to have the argument the next time because I have a better understanding of where they're coming from. Um, and at the end of the day, what I usually find is no matter where I end up at the end of the conversation, we foster better working relationships and better, um, sentimentality towards each other because we've had that exchange, right? Like when you know somebody who holds other beliefs, you don't, uh, tend to stereotype or, um, put the other side in a box as much. And I think that's a really healthy thing we need in society. When I was working in Colorado earlier this year, I went out and I was working with some very left-wing groups, including the ACLU, um, doing some work around the death penalty bill that we ultimately passed out there. But I remember at the end of the day, the head of the ACLU in the state said, I texted the rest of the team after our first hour together, and I said, she's actually nice. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, we were worried because you run a conservative Do you say thank you? How do you respond to that? I was like, I guess you caught me on a good day. But no, it was it was very funny and lighthearted. But um but I think to an extent it's true. So few people really know people on the other side of the aisle and, and much less they aren't sitting down and having conversations. And what you'll find is that, you know, both sides, I think as a whole, want what's best for Americans. They want good things for people. They want people to have their needs and be taken care of. We just have very different ideas about how you do that. And I think that comes back to what the goal of my podcast is, which is why do we have different ideas? I think we misunderstand or differently understand the problems that we face. And if we could really dig into it, then I think starting from a more honest standpoint, we could then have a better conversation about how to fix it and could probably find better compromises as well.
0: I, uh, I I was doing some research for another episode and I was I was talking about the differences between like Substack and Medium. And what I didn't know was that one of the co-founders of Twitter, I, I don't know the, his name off the top of my head. It's in my notes somewhere, which I'll read like chicken scratch. But uh, whoever, whoever was one of the co-founders of Twitter also co-founded Medium.com. And mm-hmm. I know you've got a blog there. And his reason for doing so was because he wanted Twitter to become more of the a promotional tool and less of the only way in which people could communicate with each other so he thought by having a better medium which is where the the whole marketing thing came in where people could actually blog for free and have you know their thoughts laid out a lot more it would actually help kind of bridge the divide amongst people and uh, you, you know I think, For for all the talks of people talking past each other and people just not liking each other, what I've I've done the last three weeks has been something which I don't know was a really smart move because of what I have to do for a living or if it was a really dumb move because of what I have to do for a living. But I have not watched or read any story involving what's going on with the election. If you told me that Joe Biden and California have seceded and Trump has invaded Canada, I would probably (laughs) believe you. And it it came to the point where it was just too much of a distraction from everything else. And while, you know, politics and social media and everything else, they do have to run around, um, it just wasn't really pertinent to me. And I find that when I go and I speak with my friends or somebody or family, that's the one thing they all want to talk about. And in, in a way, I almost feel like there's so much other weird shit going on that's actually probably more important. Than the one thing we're constantly being told to talk about. And I think that's the biggest issue. We're all being told what to talk about. So by the time we all want to talk about something, the media and the, the world of people online end up telling us to talk about something else.
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I mean, I think the, the problem is twofold, right? Like one problem is that politics has gotten too big. It infiltrates every part of our lives and it's the government's gotten entirely too big and it's too involved. And so because of that, I feel like politics is just saturating everything. You're right. People talk about it all the time. I um I remember when I first started getting involved in politics. I was still in the music industry, and I started posting on Facebook, and I got all these messages from family members and um, from older mentors, and they were all like, "You probably want to be really careful about doing that. You know, you could really turn off, you know, other people in your industry. It could hurt you and your job." And it kind of surprised me. I was young. Are you telling
0: me that the music industry is not conservative?
1: <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> I was in country music, um, but I I really felt strongly and I, you know, I, I moved ahead anyways, but I was one of the few people that was really talking about politics online at that time. It was still kind of taboo. And now I go and I look through my Instagram stories or, or something, you know, platform that's not even really supposed to be political and it's nothing but politics and people just posting screen grabs and posting memes. And, and I think it's really unhealthy because when I was posting, I was posting research. I was posting well-formulated thoughts, you know, really what turned into being articles for me down the road. And now what I see people doing is just grabbing a meme that reconfirms their preconceived beliefs and throwing it up. And oftentimes those are not accurate and they have misinformation on them and and i think as a whole people are just getting really burnt out i know i'm getting burnout i I'm, i don't want to talk politics in my day to day life anymore i'm just over it because you just do it 24/7 online and it's everywhere and it's exhausting and it doesn't feel like we, we you know we get anywhere and so for for those reasons i think um It'll be interesting to see where we move as far as our discourse goes. I personally like Twitter. I have great exchanges on Twitter. I think it's a funny place. I like Parlor. By the way, people on Parlor have been very nice to me so You're far. I thought I was going to be too life. libertarian. Yes, I've gotten great engagement. It's it's actually been great. Um, so I've been marveling at that, but I thought it was going to be like a little bit further right than I am, but I've had a great time on Parlor too. Um, you guys are doing a great job. But I appreciate it. All of that to say, you know, I think that it can't be the only time you have conversation, right? Twitter and Parler and Facebook are fun and, and it can be informative and it can be a great way to meet other people and have discussions and learn things. But at the end of the day, really where you need to be having these conversations or is in your everyday life with people that you like and respect and can have um, non-heated discussions, you know, have conversations with your lawmakers, with your representatives. I think that's, that's the place for it. And I think we need to remember that it is um, a needed part of our society. It's something that we should be focusing on, but it shouldn't be everything in our lives. There's more to life than that. There's more to your relationships than that. Certainly, that's something in relationships over. Um, and at the end of the day, if you feel like it's that big of a part of your life, I think you should be working to limit the government. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you bring up actually having conversations and, you know, just getting getting off the internet and trying to actually speak with people and stuff. And, uh, you know, I found a few articles a few weeks ago that I used for an episode on dating. Uh, folks, I'll go ahead and link to the show notes in that. But, you know, I, I have not been single in like five years and I'm in a very happy, healthy relationship. I always think that dating trends are funny because they actually show you what is actually going on in people's minds when they can take. Their, you know, all the tasks of their personal life and their professional life, and they can go out and try and start a relationship. And what was really interesting was in in several articles from, you know, one was from a left-leaning source, one from one was from a right-leaning source. They got all this information from Match.com in a giant like uh, year-long study they had that started right around the time that uh, the COVID lockdown started happening globally, and they saw that uh, two things happened. One. Uh, people were more likely to not swipe right or match with somebody... Uh, regardless as to how much they liked what they saw in their profile if they got any detection that their political beliefs were different from them. Mm. And then the other thing was they, they said that like two out of three participants were willing to walk away from a date if they um, if they were walking towards like the same table and they saw that their date n- didn't wear a mask. Uh, I think <laughs> that was somewhat loaded and stupid and I highly doubt two out of three people care that much, but that that was out there. But I mean, that, that was also just one of those things that I kind of sat Back and thought about it. And at least for me, at least for me, and I I went to a very conservative college, I went to Liberty, and I've been outside of DC for 12 years. Um, I see less politically diverse couples now than I remember growing up. As in, you have one person who's a Democrat and one person who's a Republican, but it's not their entire identity, so they can have a loving relationship and have those differences. Now, I almost feel that as an outside observer to to couples I see that, that start going out and stuff, now it's almost like that is part of the litmus test. I feel like, you know, we it used to be religion. Religion used to be it. And now it's like religion doesn't even matter. And now it's just politics. And I don't know how I feel about that. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think that's a really astute observation because largely I think politics are becoming
0: people's religion. Oh, that's a scary thought.
1: Yeah. I, I think it is a scary thought, but I, I absolutely see it um, being true on both sides of the aisle. That's something that I often hear Republicans say about Democrats, and I'm like, no, but you guys, too. <laughs> like,
0: both if you're you defending kind of George did. Bush, you're part <laughs> of a cult.
1: Like, you, you lose your mind if people don't stand up for a sky <laughs> flag. Like, okay, I think there's a little bit of religiosity going on here, so... <laughs> Um, actually I have a very funny anecdotal story to tell though, and I don't usually talk about my personal relationship on podcasts, but it's just too pertinent. So I will, but I have been refugee in Greenville for the past couple of months. I got out of New York city during COVID
0: God's country.
1: God's country. It's been a great place to to ride out the lockdown. Very spacious, great weather, um, very few restrictions. And I went on one date in Greenville, and the guy I had been um, talking to you about to go on a date with he kept he kept insinuating that we had very different politics. I guess he had googled me because I had not brought up politics because I don't. <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> and, <yeah.
0: laughs> great. That's a great um, way to get accustomed to somebody. Yeah. So before we met up, I, I did a little googling. Right. I, I, I don't know how I feel about what I like, but we're here.
1: Yeah, he's like, but we'll get to that later. He's like, I think you're pretty <laughs> different politics. I'm like, I, I don't care. Like, okay. I have lots of friends of very different politics. I work with a ton of Democrats. Like, I, that's fine. Like, I don't care. Um, we got to dinner, and this guy just couldn't help himself. Like, everything oh. I would say, he would relate it back to politics and try to start pushing the policy and, like, have the debate. And I was just like, look. It's fine if you are differently minded than me, Um, as long as you're smart. You've got to really know your stuff. Like, Don't try to argue with me if you aren't really ready to bring it, because I promise you I've done more research into most subjects than most people. So (laughs) I'm ready to defend my side. I can probably defend your side if I have to. But... As a whole, he just could not stop and I was like, I feel like I'm on a job interview right now or doing a podcast like why am I talking about politics this whole time It was exhausting and it was his only date so <laughs> my
0: gosh like I remember like I remember I, I went on a few date a few dates with women when I was in college who were Democrats. One of them I knew before I asked her out and I still didn't really care And then when I found out after like two or three dates, but it never used to be one of those things where it's like, that has to be something I care about. Do I prefer somebody who's not? Yeah, I'll, I'll admit that. I have a preference. But it wasn't one of those, like, you know, make it or break it things. Because as far as I've always seen politics as a individual identity, like when people are like, oh, I'm a hardcore Republican. I'm like, no, you're not. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the only people who actually really have to do like that virtue signaling uh, purity test are the people who are actually elected. I bet if we actually broke down your stance on a bunch of different issues, you would be surprised on your stance on a few of them. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. people get kind of awkwardly quiet. And, (laughs) you know, when it it comes to relationships for that, it just kind of surprises me because how... How hard how big does your ego have to be to eliminate half the dating pool entirely just because of that? It's not like these people are voting on the policy. Yeah, they might go vote in an election, but what does that really matter depending on where you're at or what time and place in history you're at? It's not like these people are, you know, actually having to have that much skin in the game, other than just being a taxpayer or something. It's like that when you when you really look at the distance between you In the realm of politics that you want to come in, depending on how active you choose to be, you've got miles between you and the rest of the world. You've got more important stuff to deal with.
1: I think that's exactly right. I remember in college, I dated a guy for like two years, and I had no idea he was a Democrat until the 2008 debates. We actually were hosting a McCain-Obama debate on campus at Belmont University. And because they were coming, we talked about politics, and I found out he was a Democrat. I was like, what? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't think it should matter that much for me. It really comes down to do you kind of worship the state or do you not? Like, I think I couldn't yes. date somebody who was like really into government that would just, yeah, that wouldn't work. But as a whole, you know, I'm somebody who, who leans conservative, who, you know, has a lot of libertarian ideology. Um, I love, I love meeting guys who are anti-government. I think that's super hot, but as a whole, like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my litmus test. You know, if you're somebody who's really into government and thinks that they're going to solve all our problems, then we probably have bigger disagreements than just our politics. Um, But as a whole, I I really do regret that our society is getting so augmented in these ways and i think it's it's unhealthy and i think it's going to continue to breed you know less discourse and and to that end we're going to have much less educated citizens we're not going to have compromise we're going to have gridlock which i guess if you can't have liberty that's the second best outcome
0: is gridlock i am but as totally a whole. <laughs> fine of gridlock you know how many bills they passed during the last two years of obama
1: nothing like nothing nothing <laughs> it was
0: beautiful <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is well done yeah I'm, I'm always in favor of gridlock but as a whole you know i think there are some really cool things we could be doing some innovations that we could um, be trying if we just got government out of the way in our society and you know it's not just that government does things i don't like that i want to get rid of it's also that they get in the way of the free market doing things and of us innovating and actually trying to solve problems because you know as a capitalist as a free market adherent as a libertarian conservative i again i agree with the left on many of the problems i see in society and my you know i' don't just shrug my shoulders at those things. I just don't think government is the solution or the answer. I do think there are um, actual solutions outside of government that we could get to working on if we got government out of the way. And so to that extent, you know, gridlock is great if the alternative is more government, but also it would be nice if we could get to a place where we start really working to remove it and work together in our communities to solve real and pressing problems.
0: Yeah, just kind of rewinding back to the to the concept of people actually wanting more long form conversations and stuff. I've got kind of a conspiracy I want to throw past you and get your get get your get your thoughts on. I really, really, really wanted to see a four hour long Trump versus Biden Joe (laughs) Rogan debate.
1: Yes, I think I saw you tweet that maybe. I
0: wanted, I signed the petition. I signed multiple petitions. (laughs) I'm I'm probably sure that I changed my name on one just so I could (laughs) sign another. I wanted it that bad. Um, But I, I wanted that so badly. And my thoughts are this one, if you had done that, you would have gotten the largest number of politically apathetic people to watch a political debate ever in history because – and the studies show this time over time. The only people who actually watch the debates are people that probably have their minds already set on it. Um, whereas if Joe Rogan, you're getting the gym bros. You're getting the soccer moms that just need some some talk about nothing, nothing but just what Joe and his friends are talking about. You're getting everybody. And I believe that the reason why Biden and Trump didn't want to do it was not because they wanted to be in a room for four hours with each other, but because they were each afraid of Rogan. And that when they actually had time to go and actually discuss a topic in length and actually have to formulate coherent arguments, neither of them could actually do that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about show ponies in Hollywood and how a lot of their teams do most of the work behind the scenes. I mean, that's amplified in politics. Most of these guys, I mean, yeah, most of these people are not very astute in policy. These aren't economists. These aren't, you know, academics or, or researchers or people who've really even lived very close to the real struggles of Americans. These Largely are people who went and got an ivy league education and were fed their talking points and they've just been regurgitating them ever since Um, At the end of the day, I think there's very few politicians who could really go and do that I could name a few off the top of my head that are exceptionally brilliant and that actually are very astute in those ways But I think you're absolutely right. There's I mean, they barely got through the debates as they were (laughs) without saying anything absolutely crazy. So I I think it would have been highly entertaining. I think it would have been very limitative. And I think that it would have gotten a a wider audience. But for obvious reasons, I I find it very doubtful we'd ever see candidates agree to do something like that.
0: Yeah. And and what I find to be very weird, and you see this each time, like... I, I, I call it I call it like the shiny object syndrome it 's like whenever a random Hollywood celebrity says something that 's like remotely non marxist i won 't even say conservative <laughs> like remotely non communist Republicans will go ahead and elevate that person to like godhood and they will try oh, yeah. and draft him for president. And, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of people online that want Tucker Carlson to be president. You've got a lot of people that want to draft Joe Rogan and The Rock for president. And, and as I watch this, I'm like, this has to just be, this has to just be clickbait. Like, what's going on? <laughs> if you actually go and look at the comments of some of these people, I genuinely believe that they believe that they have the ability to do that. And I think it comes down to this. The reason why people like The Rock, the reason why people like Tucker and Joe Rogan, is because they do more time listening and asking the questions they would want to ask and less time lecturing people. And I get it. I almost get it. I I almost feel like America has been in like a relationship with Chris Rock and we just need to be single for a few years (laughs) and read Eat, Pray, Love and Find Ourselves and find ourselves a partner who doesn't talk and provide answers to everything, but just goes, wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing your feelings. Do you want to go get ice cream now? Yes, yes, I do.
1: Yes, thank deserve you. It. <laughs> Listen, nobody loves a D-list celebrity like a Republican loves a D-list celebrity. Like <laughs> <laughs> you've been at CPAC. You've seen it. Like, you I'm
0: not, you I'm see not people kidding. like like I okay like I, I I I have, and this is not a criticism. This is not a negative comment. I know that conservatives love Scott Bayo. I, I don't know what Scott Bayo was in, and <laughs> no, I've no. never been interested enough to Google Scott Bayo. And I bet Scott Bayo is a lovely person sure and an amazing great. actor, but I don't care enough to find out.
1: Nope, I don't care. I mean, not even I mean Scott Bayo is actually like at least a name. Like I'm talking Republicans like get really excited over Pillow Man. Like there's like these like d-list celebrities that have like, Okay, okay, commercial. listen. You're you're
0: you have a chip on your shoulder because of Pillow Man. Pillow <laughs> Man do, has helped the sleep of thousands of Americans.
1: Listen, nobody has booted me out of more interviews. Do you want to do it?
0: Do you want to talk about the the your your ch- your gripe with Pillow Man?
1: Yeah. I mean no no personal problems with him, but but really I was Mike Lindell, quite
0: if confused. you want to sponsor this show, <laughs> I will surround myself with my pillows. Just putting that out there. You can go. Maybe
1: now. if he sends me a pillow, I'll change my mind. <laughs> right <laughs> now he's just the guy that boots me out of interviews.
0: Okay, so 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 what happened?
1: <laughs> no, like my first year at CPAC, which by the way, I mean, for anybody listening that hasn't been to CPAC, CPAC is just a circus unto itself. Like it is it's unlike anything else I've ever been to. And they have this giant media row. And there's all these people hustling to get interviews and your publicist is trying to insert you and you're, it's back and forth. And it's, it reminds me of my days when I used to run red carpets in the music industry where you're, you're trying to get your client in. You've got to make sure the interview goes fast. Anyways, it's mayhem. Um, and I have this great publicist, John, he, and he runs all over. He does, he does great work and he lines up all these interviews and pillow man, when he shows up to media row, my first time at CPAC keeps, they keep delaying my interviews because they're like, hold on. We have to talk to pillow man first. <laughs> like, Who is pillow man? I am humiliated. <laughs> like, why am I getting food from my interview for a guy named Pillow Man? Like I was I don't watch Fox News. So I was I was literally very confused. Um, so I'm sure he makes great pillows, but yeah, it messed up my whole interview schedule. So <laughs> that's the chip on my shoulder. And you're it's a long day. You're tired, you're in heels for hours. I think I did like 16 interviews in one day. They barely fed me. It was it's it's a grueling day.
0: You you have to you have to like mentally and emotionally and I'll say physically prepare for CPAC <laughs> yes. because after after this year, I will admit that my that my physical fitness has not been where I've wanted it to be. And I'm quite worried as to whether or not I'm going to fit in my suit. But uh, I'm I'm curious, you think they're going to do a CPAC in twenty twenty one?
1: Uh, no way,
0: especially after the the guy who had COVID was like going around. I I still I honest to God don't know who that person was. But I remember oh, it was, I tried to find out, but I couldn't. I, that person was like I, from from what I can assume he was going around like you know like French kissing people and like <laughs> coughing on people in their face. And I uh, I I I think they got I, I think a lot more people were paying attention to it. Before COVID became the thing it is now, because it happened to happen at CPAC, and I think that has some degree to do with it. But I, uh, I, I, the one thing I like about conventions, and not 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 even including CPAC, but like my my favorite convention, AwesomeCon in Washington D.C., which I look forward to more than my birthday and Christmas combined, was canceled this year, and they're already oh. talking about canceling it in 2021. And what I miss about that stuff. Um, is I just remember going there and just getting to fixate on one thing with a bunch of other people. And we got to celebrate stuff that didn't matter maybe to the rest of the world, but mattered to us. And I got, I got a, I got dinner of Jack Hunter a couple weeks ago. And as I was sitting in this pub waiting for him, I was watching TV and I was watching football and I'm not a big sports fan, except I am an Auburn university football fan. And, uh, Did I know this? And, uh, yeah, you'll get over it. You'll live. And I I can't tell you who was playing, but I just remember just being, you know, just kind of mesmerized by it because, like, the empty stadiums and stuff. And I just thought, like, you know, now I understand why people miss sports so much. Because, you know, for one day a week or for one season a year, you are all Ravens fans or you are all Steelers fans. And what has happened now is that so much of our culture, and I'm not even talking, you know, like, this is an attack on our Western American values type of shit. (laughs) Like, I'm talking about the things that used to just entertain us and bring us together and that we can find, a, you know, basically another identity in. So much of it has been taken away. We're left with what we have, which is absolutely terrible.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I even heard people saying before COVID, you know, as sports were becoming a bit more political, that you know, this is the one time I have to just tune out, pay attention to something that doesn't really matter, but it feels good, it's entertaining, I can just enjoy it. And I think we are losing those sort of things in our society that are just divorced from politics, divorced from the internet, uh, where you can really kind of just sit back and and have a nice reprieve. Um, and, and I feel the same way watching sports. It's been very odd to see the empty. NPC- the empty stadiums. Um, although I do think Alabama has had more fans than Auburn, but you know, I don't, I, don't, I haven't encountered. Keep anything. that shit
0: to yourself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like, what, what's really strange is like, I, uh, I, I do know how things are where you're at or movie theaters open.
1: So the thing with South Carolina is everything's open and really has been since May. They barely shut down. I don't think they ever officially shut down. I think they suggested shutting down. Um, They were treading lightly. But uh, it's been open, but there's nobody anywhere. And so things like movie theaters, you can see maybe one or two movies a day. And they're really weird movies. Like, I don't know if these are old movies they're bringing back or if they're just like really D-list films that nobody was ever going to see. But it's a very strange lineup. And you know, what's funny. You said you love movies. I hate going to the movies usually. Um, And even right now, I'm like, I would love to go to a movie right now. Just go to the house and do something. (laughs) I don't. Well, and I've I've started to like movies a little bit better because there's been some recent innovations like the reclining leather chairs, um, the food service, You're finally getting
0: something out of that $15 ticket.
1: Yeah, I'm like, listen, why did I want to go sit sober in a dirty old theater with kids throwing popcorn on me to watch a movie for two hours where I was going to be cold and eat carbs? Like, I just didn't want to. But now things have really improved a good bit. So I will go to the movies more willingly. Um, I saw, I did see one movie in the past, like, two months. It was that, uh, what was it called? That big Uh, movie all the guys were excited
0: about. (laughs) Tenet? Yes, Tenet. Tenet. I have seen Tenet five times in theaters. Oh, my God. Because it is the only new movie only that's been out, out. and yeah. what, what's what's crazy is like I. I, what, what what I think is pretty cool right now is, like, where I'm at at Cinemark, uh, all the tickets are discounted. If you go and watch an old movie, because they have been playing old movies. Like, I saw a Scream uh, before, uh, right before nice. Halloween, and it was only $5. But all the concessions are super inexpensive compared to how they typically were. I'm still paying, like, yeah. $3 for a pack of M&Ms and a soda. But, you know, it's not like you're paying $25 in a, in a high-interest loan for that. But what, what's just odd is, like, it— It's awkward being in a movie that people have talked about for so long and being the only person in the theater Mm -hmm. because then you don't know if there's a problem in the world or if there's a problem with you because you're going to go see it still. (laughs) And I saw Tenet so many times because I just wanted to kill time. And I think for movies, and this must be what sports was for so many people, um, and I have a Cinemark membership. Like I'll pay the eight dollar fee for discounts and everything. Like I, I miss it that much. Um, it used to just be the time where I didn't have to look at my phone or I didn't have to do anything else. Where now I'm in my reclining large leather chair with you know a, with an IPA and stuff, and nothing else matters. And even though in the past couple months more people have been trickling into films and stuff like that what i 've noticed is that people are watching films that they can easily watch at home, and then what I realize is they 're doing it because they want to have some type of communal experience again because mm-hmm. you know while I went to go see a bunch of those movies by myself, people are trying to go see it with their friends they 're trying to see it with their with their partners and it 's like you know what this is it 's not the fact that they just loved movie theaters and they really have to go see Hocus Pocus, a film they probably have on VHS DVD, and Blu ray at home. And they're paying to see it and a big screen. It's just that they miss the habit of having something to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I know, like I said, for me, I, I don't usually love going to the movies, but I'm at my house so much these days. Even though things are open, there's not that much going on. And, and when you go places, it's pretty empty. Like I've been getting basically private yoga instructions so cheap for months because I pay the monthly pass to go to my studio and I'm the only person ever in class. So I'm getting very good at yoga, but um, it's like that everywhere you go, it's it's kind of muted and, and not very populated and people aren't having events and just a lot of the social activities that would have been planned you <laughs> are gone and so i think you know the movies are one way to get out of the house be around people to try to feel normal again because the the really the reality is is this is mentally hard on us i think people are really yeah. having a hard time and i keep hearing people say that you know my dad's a pastor and he mentioned that this month it's been especially hard with people and and i think we're just getting to a point where people are sort of starting to crack you know we can't live like this we were never meant to live this way and it is mentally difficult and we are going through a very traumatic event as a as a society and there's real ramifications to that. And so I think there's a lot of people who are just they want to feel normal even if it's just for an hour or two.
0: What what do you think normal is going to look like in let's say a few years from now? Because I I still have this like naive mindset that by like, you know, the snap of my fingers, everyone's going to start going back to movies, people will start, you know, going back to stadiums, people will not have to wear masks, you know, people will be able to go to church, people will be able to go back to normal life but the longer this keeps going and i am of the mindset of this stopped being about covid like seven months ago now Mm -hmm. with the fact that like in virginia we've got uh politicians like dangling lockdowns in front of us like if you behave on thanksgiving we'll give you christmas and it's like fuck you (laughs) um i i you know even though we can have permission to go back and we have the ability to go back i really wonder how many people will willingly want to do that and they just haven't been conditioned and put in such a state of fear that they won't want to?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I I fluctuate between like two extremes. Um, For me, personally, I have been pretty much back to living my life for months. Um, As a whole, I take precautions. And I very much advocate people who have, you know, other issues or pre existing conditions to take the precautions they need to have. But the reality is, we can't eradicate this disease, even if we do sit in our house. You know, people will still die. The science shows the lockdowns have not been effective. Um, As a whole, we're going to have so many worse ramifications um, than just this disease if we continue this. You know, the suicides are skyrocketing up, the mental health issues are extreme, the educational gaps are going to keep getting wider, inequality is going to keep getting worse. um, And there's there's just so many uh, worse effects, I think, than this disease that are coming about because of our response to it. Um, so for me, I've been mostly trying to go about my day-to-day life. I've been traveling some. I've been going to events. I'm seeing my family. Um, but the the reality is when I do travel, is I, it's not normal, right? In my mind, I keep trying to make it normal. But I'll get on a plane that's still very empty. I'll go to you know New York City or D.C. and there's still very few people in restaurants or going out and about. And I think... My mentality and response to it is certainly not where the bulk of society is. And I had this thought on a plane the last time I was flying of, you know, am I going to be wearing a mask on planes for years to come? Like, when does this end? Because I think what we're doing won't be eradicated just with a vaccine. First and foremost, a lot of people aren't going to take that
0: vaccine. Okay, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, will, I will say this, and I am not an anti-vaxxer. No, saying There is no way I'm going to be one of the first people to take that.
1: A hundred percent. No, I want I to watch a
0: bunch of other people take it, and maybe like wait a month, and then after I see how they are, then I'll maybe do it.
1: Yeah, I just I don't think it's wise to put things in your body until we've seen you know how they do for a number of years. And as, at the end of the day, I am not concerned with getting COVID. I don't want to get COVID, but it, I, I okay. Be be,
0: be straight with me. If some if if some magical being could come down right now and say you, I will give you COVID right now, or you can wait and live in fear. So whether or not you'll get it, what would you, what would you do? Because I I almost feel like I want to
1: get it over with. (laughs)
0: I've I've been, I've been literally telling people and they think I'm joking. I would rather just get it right now and get it over with because I'm probably going to survive it.
1: Yeah. I've heard so many people say it. One, I don't have a fear of death at all. Like, I'm a Christian. I believe there's an afterlife. I, I'm just, I've never been afraid of dying. I worry about people I love dying, but as a whole, I'm not afraid of death. So if I get it and I die, then that's my time and
0: I go. I have not a, I, I've, I've lived a weird life. I feel like if something's going to kill me, it's not going to be this.
1: Oh, no. Here's why I won't <laughs> die from it, because I don't like life that much, and people who don't like life that much never die young. Like it's they your, live like longer. purgatory. Yeah. It's no, I'm mean, going to be like 95. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to suck. Like I feel like I'm condemned to live to 95 for sure. <laughs> like, it's going to happen. So, but as a whole, yeah, I think I, I'm just not afraid of it, but a lot of people are, and a lot of people are, are really, um, I think this is going to change how they interact. Even even though I'm not afraid of it, my younger brother and I have talked a lot about how much it has changed our mentality just around like germs in general. I've never been a germaphobe and I'm still not. But there are a lot of things that I'm like, I'll probably never touch a menu again. Like I never thought about how gross menus were. Ew, like why was men- I menus, that Than eating? <laughs> men-
0: menus are disgusting. And what I really disgusting. hate are the menus that have like the plastic thing oh, over uh, it because it's yes. always caked with like sauce and food and like french yes. fries getting the getting the spine of it and it's it's disgusting so i mean i think it's with nasty. that it's good this is the first year in my life i have not caught strep throat really I, i've caught strep throat every year since i was like 9 and this is the first year I ever remember not getting it. So I look at that situation. It's like, you know, I didn't catch strep, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist. So I'm like, shit, does that mean when I do eventually get sick, it'll be something minor? But because I haven't gotten all this other stuff, it'll be like I'm getting hit with a cannon or something. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, well, I think,
1: or maybe, I think, maybe you know, it'll be listed as COVID because I keep may, seeing where maybe. people had other issues and it was listed as COVID. <laughs>
0: I had, I had I had a friend and we're we're running up on time, so this will be my last thing to throw out there. I had a friend, a really good friend of mine, and I won't say his name because I'm gonna make fun of him here. He knows who he is, and yeah, I uh, I, I don't care if he knows this. I laugh, and I still laugh, and I'll tell him I'm gonna continue laughing at it. He called me last Monday, and it was in the middle of the workday, which he rarely does. And he was like, "Hey man, I, I'm not. I something happened. I really need to talk to you. So what am I thinking?" Oh, somebody died, you're in a wreck, you did something illegal and we have to hide a body or something, you know, the normal stuff. And I call him and he starts the conversation with, listen, man, I got off the phone with my girlfriend. I'm thinking, oh, it's a breakup. Okay. No. Instead, he says, she just called me and one of her coworkers tested positive for COVID. And I'm like, what? okay. What's wrong? He's like, I was spending time with her last night. I'm like, with, with the girl who got COVID or your girlfriend? No, with with my girlfriend. And I'm like, does she have COVID? I don't know. And I'm like, does she have COVID? Does she know? She doesn't know. And I'm like, how do you feel? Well, I just took my temperature. And I'm like, okay, what's your temperature? It's it's 98. And I'm like, and? and he's like, I think I want to go get tested tomorrow. I'm like, why? He's like, because I might have COVID. And I'm like, so what? Dude, if you have COVID, I will go over to your house right now, lick your forehead, and we'll have a COVID party together. You know how badly <laughs> I want to catch it right now just so I don't have to freaking deal with it later? He's like, well, what if, my, what, if, what, if, what if my work finds out? I'm like, how are they going to find out unless you go around crying and telling people about it? <laughs> and it's like, listen, I, I'm not going to, to all the crazy blogs talking about how, how this was you know sent by aliens and stuff. I just look at the CDC numbers and like only 2% of the population will get this. And of that two percent, you have a ninety-eight percent recovery rate, and those numbers have not changed. It is more dangerous for me to get in my car than to catch COVID. And he, you know, I'm laughing at him. He's like, "Man, why are you laughing at me? This is fucked up, man." And I'm like, "Because you're acting like a moron." And I hung up on him because I had actual work to get to. And we had a beer then a few nights later. So he's fine, and he does not have COVID. He's still doing okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, he, he's Yeah, I don't, I don't
1: understand. Too. There's, I just look at the data, and I'm like, there, you know, and, and not to undermine it, I know that there are many people who do have other conditions where they need to be afraid of this, but as a whole, there there are many things we face in society and in our day to day lives that could harm us, that could kill us, and that's just the unfortunate reality of being alive. It's it's a rough world, and there's a lot of things we have to be concerned about. But you know, I think that. As somebody who pays attention to economics and and to sociology, the unseen effects from responses are often as better, worse than the actual events themselves. And, And I think we're certainly at that point where we are seeing so many terrible effects of what we're doing to try to combat COVID that are far worse than the disease itself. And at the end of the day... COVID is a reality that we can't, um, we can't totally eradicate yet. You know, we're working on it. We're making great strides. I think it's fantastic to see the market respond to this as quickly as we have, but there's, there are many diseases we have to live with in society and that do kill people and that harm people. And, and this is another one. It's new, it's new to us, um, but it's it's not different in that, in that way. And so I think that what we're doing, especially what we're doing to people mentally right now and conditioning them to behave in this way is, is scary. And I do hope that, you know in The coming months that we will perhaps see the media start to dissipate with some of its hyperbole, I think that that has a lot to do with how people respond and and how they um, approach this. There's a lot of narrative shifting that needs to occur. We need to see politicians come in and be... Um, be clear with their communication, be upfront with their ask and ways that people can can behave to actually try to keep society safer and keep themselves safe. But we have to stop coming in and with the lockdowns and, and with other responses that are hurting people's livelihoods and hurting their familial relationships and hurting their mental health. We just cannot continue doing that. And so I think we need leaders. Um, there's sort of been this pervasive silence from people to push back against any of this. And and it's been um, a situation where people do speak out or question it. They're, they're sort of shamed for it or, or pushed to the side. And I'm really grateful to see Rand Paul pushing back. I've become a fellow for the Foundation for Economic Education recently. They're pushing back. I've seen... Aier pushing back. And so we're finally starting to see some people taking strong stands, but we need a lot more because if, if nobody pushes back, I think the narrative continues and this doesn't go away anytime soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, just to cap it off with everything we've discussed the past hour, we, we have to do a lot of reprioritizing and I'm not saying we need systematic change. I'm saying like as individuals, we, we really need to reprioritize our life because if you're, if you're listening to this and your biggest priority was wondering what what's gonna to happen to your life depending on who became president? I think that your priorities are in the wrong place. I, mm-hmm. I think that I think that you should have focused on how your family is doing. How are you doing? What were the things that can immediately affect the people around you positively or negatively? And what will you do when you identify that? Because I think when we stop looking at other people through a screen and figuring out what we're going to be enraged at today, and we actually take into account the real world around us, a lot more complicated things are going to become less scary. A lot more scary things are going to become less of a constant nightmare, and people will chill out. And what I'm hoping is, as things start to get to whatever point we consider normal, people will look back at this and say we overreacted to a lot of shit. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and you know, as somebody who was in New York City, which really was the ground zero for this, um, I somewhat. Understand- How do you feel about
0: Cuomo getting an Emmy?
1: Oh, I think he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. He did a great job playing a politician who actually gives a shit about people on TV. (laughs) He did. It was a good performance. I mean, look at this guy. He's getting people murdered left and right. But, I mean, outstanding performance. I thought it was the best acting job I've ever seen by a politician. So, congratulations, Cuomo.
0: um hannah but listen you know being uh, there
1: i think i think it did condition people to be afraid because new york's response and their government really botched their response so severely you did see so many people dying at the heart of it that i think people still have that mentality even though we've now seen that it's not nearly as deadly as we first thought um and so again it's going to come down to politicians and thought leaders and the media really starting to push back and and show the full picture
0: absolutely hannah you've got a podcast you've got a newsletter you've got a blog you've got column you've got a you've got a lot of stuff going on if people want to connect with you follow you and all your misadventures and all the awesome stuff you do how can they do so
1: yeah so i'm at parlor at hannah cox i'm very excited about that handle by the way so there you've ever gotten just my name so i was quick on the draw Um, i'm at hannah cox on parlor i'm at hannah cox7 on twitter I'm at Hannah Danielle Cox 7 on Facebook. Um, you can find my podcast, which is called Based with Hannah Cox on Spotify, on iTunes, on my Facebook, and it's also on YouTube. Um, my sub stack is called the Cox Curation. That's a really fun outlet where I have a newsletter and some other information. Um, and they can find my writing at the Foundation for Economic Education, the Washington Examiner, and Newsmax predominantly.
0: Awesome stuff. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a blast having you you here.
1: Always. Thanks, Rimzo.
0: Well, folks, you know, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. Taking a moment to go ahead and leave a five-star rating review doesn't just show me that you actually listen and care. It shows other people that what we're doing over here is fun and entertaining, and it's actually worth a few minutes of your day. So please, going ahead and doing that on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts is going to mean so much. And please, share with a friend if you had fun with this. I think they might have fun with this, too. I think we're I think we're fun people. But as always, I'll come back to you later in the week. Go ahead and follow me on Parlor at Remso, R-E-M-S-O. And as always, you're listening to On The Run. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Good night.
1: Check out our other shows and more
0: from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.